Will you please turn in the Word of God tonight to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 28. And we are on familiar territory once again tonight, Genesis chapter 28. And we will commence to read at verse 10, Genesis 28, verse 10. And when you found the place, then we will read God's word together, please. Let us now hear God's word. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in the place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of a sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid, and said, How dreadful is this place! This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And they called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. May God bless his word. Uh, to all of our hearts, for Christ's sake. Amen. Now, what I would like to preach on tonight is what a pleasant surprise found while fleeing. Found while fleeing. Jacob had two very unusual experiences with God. I'm sure you know the story of Jacob very, very well. 
The first happened when he was fleeing from his brother Esau on his way out of the land of Canaan to meet up with his uncle Laban in Haran. That's what we're reading about here in this chapter. The second took place when he was fleeing from his uncle Laban on his way back to the land of Canaan to meet up with his brother Esau. Genesis chapter 32. Now we're going to think especially about the first experience he had in Genesis 28. Now just a little bit of background. The first thing I want to just leave with you is that Jacob was a twister. He was a twisted man. And we know the story well how he tricked his brother Esau into selling him his birthright in chapter 25. Then he also did a terrible thing and deceiving his father into giving him the blessing reserved for the firstborn son who was Esau. After such deceitful behavior, and I think we all can identify with Jacob, can we not? Because I can see myself in Jacob. And I think if we are perfectly honest, we can all put our hand up and say, yes, I can see myself in him as well. After such deceitful behavior, Jacob feared for his life, and rightly so. And as a result of that, he fled from his father's house, hoping to escape the wrath of his brother Esau. As far as we know, he had never been away from home before. But as he fled, God met him in grace. Do you remember that time in your life's experience when you were running from God, running from the Father's house, trying to get away from the convicting power of the Spirit, and God found you, a sinner, dead in trespasses and in sins. And these verses before us tell us what happened and how that happened. Weary and alone and probably 50 miles away from home, with darkness swiftly descending, he found a spot to rest for the night. Using a few stones uh, for a pillow, he soon, soon fell into an exhausted sleep. He was tired. And when you run from God, it's a tiring thing. It can wear you out when you resist the strivings of the Holy Spirit. And as he slept, he had a dream. Oh, what a dream it was. A dream that changed his life. Suddenly, the stillness of the night became alive with drama. And verse 12 tells us what happened on that memorable night. He saw a ladder. The only place in the Bible where this particular word is used in the original. And it means a stairway, a staircase. It's the kind of thing uh, that an invading army would put up against a wall of a city that they're trying to invade or take. It's like a rump, a stairway, a staircase. And Jesus is the staircase. He's the way to God. And that's what this story really is all about, that Christ is the only way. He's the staircase to God. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He saw a ladder. He saw a stairway only here in the Bible set up on the earth. What he saw and experienced that night changed his life. And everything he experienced that night vividly portrays the work of God and grace and the lives of sinners. 
for a short time. There are three simple things I want to leave with you for your attention. God or God's appearing to Jacob. Oh, if God would happen to stop by tonight and appear to you, you'd never be the same again. The same could be said of me. What a night that would be if the Lord stopped by for a little time just to visit with us and speak to us. The first thing we note is Jacob's departure. We're told here that he went from Beersheba and he went toward Haran. That was a journey of about 500 miles or thereabouts. So he's on a journey. Do you see that? He's on a journey. We're all on a journey. He's traveling away from the father's house or the father's tent or the father's encampment. Do you understand that? But he's moving away from the father's house. Beersheba means the well of the oath. Abram and Abimelech entered into a compact or a covenant in Genesis 21 at this place over a well that was disputed. It really was the last stop as you were leaving the land of Israel. And of course, then it was the first point of your coming up from Egypt up to the land of Canaan. It was the most southerly limit of Judah. The land is described from Dan to Beersheba, about 150 miles. The name that is used for Lord in verse 13 of our Bible reading is Jehovah, the covenant-keeping God. Let's apply this spiritually. Here's a man with his back to the father's house. He's leaving Beersheba, the place of the covenant. He's going to Haran. He's going into the far country. Do we not have a picture of the sinner turning his or her back on the God of covenant mercy, the God of covenant grace? The God who wants to be gracious to sinners. The God who wants to be merciful to lost souls. And yet people turn their backs on him and head off in the opposite direction. This reminds us of the New Testament where a young man, I think that Jacob was maybe in his 70s at this point of time. But we think of the New Testament story of a young man who departed from his father's house in Luke chapter 15. And Jacob is the Old Testament prodigal. And they both ended up in the far country. Do you see that? The young man, he wasn't happy at home. He wasn't happy with all the restrictions in the home. He looked to far off fields and they looked very green and enriching for him. And so he, he picked up and really he insulted his father. It was an awful affront to his father because when he asked for his inheritance, he was really saying, Father, I wish you were dead so I could get my hands on my inheritance. What an insult. And how we insult the God of heaven when we refuse his mercy and turn away from his grace and his tender compassion. He went in to the far country, sad to say. And then he spent all that he had with riotous living, whatever that means. But he paid for it. He suffered for it. Oh, it, it went okay for uh, maybe a few years. I don't know how long. They had plenty of friends, they had plenty of money, they had plenty of friends. Everything was going so well, and then he hit rock bottom, everything was gone. He goes out to feed the swine, he grows a long beard, long hair, he's smelly. And then he, it suddenly hits him, it suddenly dawns on him, what am I doing here? 
I must get back to my father's house. Because in my father's house, the servants there, they have much, they have everything they need. Look at me here. And what happened there in the far country is repentance, really. It shows that he felt his need to get back to the father's house. He was happy enough to get away from it. And he was happy enough to get back to it. Ah, he said, just make me a servant. But is that what happened? Of course not. The father provided the fatted calf. There's the idea of the sacrifice, an animal being, being slaughtered. The best robe, the robe of righteousness. Everything that the sinner needs is typified in that incident when the father made that gracious provision, shoes for his feet, a new walk, walking with God, the ring in his finger, sonship. Everything that the young fellow turned his back on is given to him now in grace and in mercy. And so he's turning his back on the father's house. He's heading out to the far country. He's tired and he's weary and he's got to rest. He's got to sleep. You know what it's like? The Bible does say about Judas, he went out and it was night. And here Jacob went out in verse 10. And tarried in a certain place all night, verse 11. He's a fugitive. He's on the run from Esau, whom he had wronged. Now, when you read the book of Hosea, don't neglect the minor prophets. There's some very good reading there, challenging messages there. But Hosea throws light on this particular passage, chapter 12, verses 4 and 5 and he's speaking about this particular incident and he wrote, listen to it he found him at Bethel he found who? he found Jacob who found him? well Jehovah, the Lord of hosts found him he really was saying that Jacob was lost in a spiritual sense and the Lord of hosts Jehovah found him there oh that's good news isn't it? Jacob didn't go to that place or the far country seeking after the Lord. No, he didn't. The Lord came seeking after him and the Lord found him there. And the truth is we find him because he first found us. We seek him because he first seeks us. That's the truth. That's the way it was with me. That's the way it was with every child of God. The Lord of hosts found him. Hallelujah. We're found sinners tonight, those redeemed by precious blood. Found by grace, found by love, washed by precious blood. So Hosea identifies the one who found him as the Lord of hosts. So there was a definite place, Bethel. There was a definite time when he met with God and God met with him. Has there been a definite place and a definite time in your experience when you've met with God? When you've trusted him for salvation, when you believed with your heart, when you've repented of your sins and called upon God for mercy, he laid it upon a certain place called formerly laws. The, the word in the Hebrew uh, for laws here, it, it can also be translated watchful. Or it could also be translated anamon. The Ammon in the Bible speaks of the watchful care of God. So here's a man running from God. He's running from the Father's house and God's watching over him. His eyes upon this man. He's not yet converted. 
But the Lord's watching over him. The Lord sees where he's going. The Lord found him at Bethel as he fled from before Esau. He found him there. And he's watching over you tonight. He knows where you go. He knows what your thoughts are. He knows your heart. There's not a thing that he doesn't know about you. And he wants to be gracious to you. He wants to show his mercy and his grace. Maybe this was his first stop. I tend to think that it was. It was about a two or three day journey. He's alone in the desert place. Afraid, isolated and weary. And the fact that the sun was set and it was night is significant according to verse 11. What does that suggest to you? He was in darkness spiritually when God appeared to him. That's the way it was with me. I was in spiritual darkness when the Lord first appeared to me. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I rose went forth and followed thee. Grace. It's all about grace. It's all about Christ. The God of grace. God's dearly beloved son. His only begotten son. So if you're not in the light and walking in the light, you're still in nature's darkness. Just like this man. He was a fugitive in the dark. Lonely. Desperate. The sun would not rise again for him according to the teaching of Scripture, according to this narrative, until Genesis chapter 32, verse 31. And there we read, as he passed over Penuel, the sun arose upon him. Now, I'm sure he had many sunsets and sunrises, but I'm just going by what the narrative, and I think it's significant that the sun was setting as he came to this place. It was dark. But then after his experience at Peniel, the sun arose upon him as he limped away from the place where God touched him. God blessed him, you know. How do I make that out? I can see him limping away from Penuel. He's got the limp. You're telling me that that man got blessed. He received the blessing of God and he's limping away. He can hardly walk. But the point is this. God touched him. God blessed him. And his walk was never the same again thereafter. That can only be a blessing if God touches you and your walk has changed from that moment of time. That's a blessing, I think. God blessed him there. Hallelujah. So the sun is rising. In the meantime, he would have to endure a long, dark experience of chastening. A long, dark night of exile for 20 years. Yes, he was converted at Bethel. But his life needed to be transformed and changed eventually at Peniel. Penuel, Peniel and that was 20 years later. And he continued to be deceitful, even out there in the far country. After having met with God, God saved him and then God was sanctifying him during that period of time, pruning away the old dead wood. And then God brought him to that place in his life and he touched him, put his hand upon him and changed him powerfully by his grace. Now, he's running from Esau. Esau said, if I get my hands on you, I'll kill you. So he's, he's under the death sentence, you see. And that's just like every sinner. The wages of sin is death. We're under the death penalty. And then he came to that place, he's tired. He gets some of the stones there. I can't imagine what it must have been like. It's very hard to get a decent pillow you can sleep with at night, you know. 
And here he's taking the stones from that place and he sets them up there and makes it into a pillow and he lies down. What am I going to say now? The way of the transgressor's heart. Do you see that? Jacob was a lost soul in darkness, fleeing for his life, away from the father's house. But it took this hard experience. It was a prelude to his heavenly experience with God. But don't miss the point. The Lord came to Jacob. Up to this point of time, he had been a crafty, selfish, despicable individual, yet God came to him. Do you see that? And the dream was a display of God's divine grace that was unsought for. It was a revelation of Christ because Jesus, speaking to Nathaniel in John 1.51, he talked about that ladder. And he really was saying, I am that ladder. He knew what Nathaniel had been reading in his private devotions because he drew his attention to what he was reading. He had been reading this very account. And Jesus says, you see a ladder there? That's a picture of me. It's a figure of me. The ladder is Christ set up on earth. That speaks of his humanity. It reached all the way the top reached up to heaven. That speaks of his deity. And so we have this blessed combination. He's human and he is divine. He's the way to God. He feels for sinners because he became a man. And he knows his God, the needs of individuals. It represents Christ. And so the angels, they are ascending and descending. Indicating that Christ is the only way to the Father. He's the only mediator. It was a ladder. I've got to move on. We need to think in the second place about God's address to Jacob. In verses 13 through 15. In verse 13, we're told that the Lord stood above the ladder. Jesus stood to welcome Stephen home, Acts chapter 7. That was a most memorable day for that child of God. We see him lying there on the the ground outside uh, the gate of Jerusalem. The blood's pouring from his wounds. He's received harsh treatment. He looks up in the midst of his crisis. And what did he say? I see Jesus standing. Now we know from the Bible that when Christ went back to heaven, he sat down at the Father's right hand, having obtained eternal redemption for his people. Yes, but he arose to welcome home this hero of the faith. This man who had given his life in the cause of the gospel. The Lord rose to welcome him home. He says, I see Jesus. When you're going through difficult times, isn't it good to look up and see Jesus? Isn't it good to look up and see him standing there at God's right hand or seated at God's right hand, the place where he intercedes for his people? I see Jesus. Hallelujah. Get a glimpse of him tonight. It will thrill your heart. It will thrill and bless your never-dying soul. What a marvelous thing God began to speak. He was there. He was there to receive all those who would come by Christ. And God said, many times in the Bible read those words and God said, as he's speaking to you, are you listening to his voice? Can you hear his voice tonight? When was the last time you heard that still small voice speaking to your soul? Saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. 
I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I am the light of the world. In your darkness, look to the light of the world. In your time of depression, look to Christ who undergirds his people. The woman going to the gate of Nain was heartbroken. Her only son was dead. They were going to bury him. And Jesus came at that right moment, at the gate of the city. Not a moment too early, not a moment too late, just at the right time. And there the Lord changed that woman's whole scene, her whole situation. And there the Lord changed the future of that young man. Because he called him back to life. He did a marvelous thing. This is grace. And the Lord healed that broken heart. The Lord dried up the fallen tears. The Lord brought healing. The Lord uh, brought deliverance to that particular woman in her time of need. Is there someone here tonight and your heart broken? Is there someone here under great pressure, under great distress? He knows all about that. He cares, he loves, he understands. And just the time you need him, he'll come to you and assist you and undergird you and lift you up to bless your soul, to encourage you in the Lord. All the world is no friend to the child of God, but Jesus is. He's the friend of sinners. And God said, let him speak to your heart tonight. Listen for that voice of the Lord tonight. I I think God appeared at least seven times, uh, as far as I can make out, to uh, Jacob, I could be wrong. That, that seems to be the very first time. And when God speak, when God spoke, he began to talk to Jacob about certain things. He speaks to him about the promises made to Abraham way back in chapter 13, chapter 12 and chapter 13 of his book. And Isaac, chapter 26. And he, he talks about his people and he talks about the blessing that his people will be to the world, his seed. They would multiply as the dust and so on, as the sand of the, the, the sea. This was a promise of great potential. And, and he's talking about Jacob's seed, this twister, this bent man, this heel catcher. But grace triumphed. Grace brought about the change. And the promise given to Abraham and the promise given to Isaac could not be altered by this man in any way. And God was going to change this man and the seed would continue and the blessing would flow and the increase would be given from the east and the north and the south and the west. There would be a great engathering of precious souls extending all the way to the Gentiles to the engathering of the church of Jesus Christ. God was taking this man, this twister, the triumph of grace. And through his descendants, they would be responsible for giving the world the scriptures. They would be responsible for giving the world the Savior. Do you see that? Oh, there's grace flowing in this chapter, grace abounding in this chapter. And to the lonely Jacob, cut off from friends and family. This was a word in season. And then God said three things to him, to assure him. He assured him of God's presence. In verse 15, I think it is, I will be with thee. It's not a great promise, child of God. I will be with thee. When the way is dark and the way is difficult and the dark night comes, he says, I will be with thee. Then there's the promise of God's protection and will keep thee in all places whether thou goest. 
We have the protection of the Lord. Nothing can happen to us outside the, the divine purpose of God. As we walk in the light, the seas in the light. And then there's a the promise of God. And we'll bring thee back again into this land. As there's someone away from God tonight that promises, I will bring thee back again. I will restore thee. I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. I'll do it for you because I'm God and you're my child. Yes, you've gone astray. The Lord knows you've gone astray. And the promise is, I will bring thee back. He can do it tonight. Hallelujah. Because he's Jehovah. He's the Lord our righteousness. They don't resist the Holy Spirit. Don't procrastinate. It's always a dangerous thing to do that. When God is speaking. Because God might just take you at your word. One of the amazing things about God's word to Jacob is that there's not one word of rebuke. It's not an amazing thing. The Lord could have given him a real scolding. He didn't do that. The Lord was gracious to Jacob. He lifted the spirits. This is the grace of God. That's the way God deals with his people. So we've got to come to a close. So God approaching. Jacob, God addressing Jacob, above the ladder, speaking. And then God awakening Jacob. And we're told in verse 16, Jacob awaked out of his sleep and he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And it's interesting, uh, back there in verse uh, 11, I think it is, verse 11, the first glimpse we get of him in our Bible reading, he's sleeping. He's asleep. Do you see that? It's a dangerous thing to sleep in the house of God. Remember Acts chapter 20? The preacher was going along, the young man was sitting in the window, the next thing he fell out of the window and he was taken up dead. Here he's, he's asleep. Just like the sinner in nature's darkness, asleep. The Bible does say in Ephesians 5 14, Awake thou that sleepest in Christ shall give thee life. So he has been asleep, but now he's awakened. Yes, this was an awakening out of physical sleep, but I think that the language is such to show that that night Jacob awoke out of his spiritual sleep. This is the first place in the Bible that there's any signs of spiritual life in this man when God came and visited him in grace. So he's compelled to leave the father's house because of guilt, and now he finds a place in God's house by grace. He came to this place and he called it Bethel, the house of God. That place was formerly known as Luz. I mentioned that means an almond, it means watchfulness, but it also means separation. Bethel, the house of God. God called him to separate from the world and to be separated unto God's house. And he discovered it to be the gate of heaven to his soul, verse 17. And this expression is related to Babel. Over there in Genesis chapter 11, verse 9, meaning the gate to God. What's the connection? But there's a major difference. That's the point I want to emphasize. At Babel, men decided they would reach God by their own works building this great tower to heaven. I don't believe that they were intending to reach up to the heavens itself, but the, but the roof was like the heavens, with the stars and the moon and so on. Like the dome of the rock, probably. Resembled heaven. 
That's the whole idea. They were trying to, to make uh, their, their way to, to find peace in some way, to have a, a religion apart from God. But here God brought him to his house, the house of God. And the house of God is a place where we meet with God. It may be a shack, it may be a hut. An old building like up the road there changed times now. That's as much the house of God as this is. With all its beauty. It's a beautiful building. Congratulations to you. But those who worship in an old tent, in an old outhouse in a cave, where they meet is the house of God. Never forget that. Where Jesus is, tis heaven there. Up until the third century, there wasn't such a place as church buildings. Remember how they met in, in houses and so on, and they began moving into the synagogue and so on, branching out. And the Bible does say, the very next day, it was morning, verse 18. Verse 18 says, refers to the morning, it was a new day in his experience. Do you see that? Oh, he's moved out of the night. The night scene has passed. It's morning time now. A new man, the place is mentioned six times in these verses. He set up a pillar to commemorate his meeting with God. He anointed that. He set it apart for God. The hard place became a holy place. A place where he met with God. And he said, I'll never forget the place, Bethel, the house of God. I never forget what God did for me there on that occasion. And he remembered God's portion. He says, I'm going to give the Lord a tenth. If he brings me back, I, I don't believe that he's, he's reasoning with God. You know, that, that word if can also mean sense. Since he's going to fulfill his promise and bring me back and do all these things, he'll keep me and he'll be with me and he'll bring me back. Since he's going to do this. That's the way I read it anyway. I could be wrong, but that's the way I see it. He's not really bargaining. He's saying, since you're going to do these things for me, I'm going to make sure I give you a tenth, the tithe. I mentioned this this morning, remember? Melchizedek, the king of peace and the king of righteousness went out to meet Abraham returning from the battle. What did they set before him? He set before him the bread and the wine. I talked this morning about the body and the blood. That was the theme of the message this morning. His representations of the things Jesus gave to his disciples that night before the battle. Remember what I said this morning? Abraham had just triumphed in a battle over the enemy to rescue Lot and so on. Christ was about to fight the battle against the devil on Calvary's cross. And he presented the bread and the wine to his disciples. My body, my blood. What a saviour. And we're told there about Melchizedek. Now, people have different views about who Melchizedek was. He certainly was a king of righteousness and a king of peace. The king of Salem. Jerusalem. Whether this was a Christophany or a real person, well, I leave you to decide. I have my own ideas and views and thoughts, but the point is this. This man, who certainly represents Christ, blessed Abraham, 
So the blessing of God comes when we contemplate the work of Christ in his body and in his blood on the cross. We receive blessing as we dwell upon those elements that point us to Christ. And once he was blessed of Melchizedek, pointing us to Christ, we're told that they give tithes, and tithes will be a night of worship, and he's worshiping God now by giving his tithes. It's a night of worship. So we find acceptance with God through the work of Christ. He blesses us as we dwell upon the glories of the Son of God. And then we respond favorably by giving to God worship that is due to his name because he has redeemed us, because he has saved us. Finally, I'm going to beat a record. I'm going to finish before 8 o'clock. But don't miss this. I want you to get this. You cross over the chapter after this mighty experience with God in the dark. It's a new day. It's changed by grace. In verse 1 of chapter 29, then Jacob went on his journey. Listen to me just one more moment. He went on his journey. And these words could be translated because they're related to the thought of lifting up something, related to toes, related to feet. And the teaching is here that he lifted up his feet. What does that mean? Oh, he's had an experience with God. He's had a conversion experience. He lifted up his feet. He's, he's going on his journey and it seems as if he's walking on air. Do you see that? He lifted up his feet. He's walking on air. He's had a wonderful experience with God. He's changed by grace. And he's gone on his way rejoicing just the way the Ethiopian did in Acts chapter 8. He went on his way rejoicing. So we have this wonderful thought. He's met with God. God has met with him. He's had a conversion experience. Oh, he's going to go away for 20 years of wandering, but God's going to bring him back. And he does bring him back. Brings him back to Bethel. Back to the house of God. The place where he first met with the Lord. And now he's, he, he's, he's lifted up above his troubles and trials. He, he's walking in there. He's on his way rejoicing. You can leave the house of God tonight rejoicing. In the Lord. Because of grace. God's grace. Matchless grace. Christ is here. The King's here. The King of righteousness is here. May you trust him tonight. For his mercy and his grace. And may you seek him. With all your heart. And if you're not yet converted. May this be the night when your darkness. Is turned to light. And your night is turned to day. And you embrace Christ as Savior. And if you're a child of God. May the Lord bless you. And may, may the Lord send the fire. And keep us. Trusting in him. Let's pray. Father. Bless thy word tonight. Undertake for us now as we separate. Go our several ways. May the blessing of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest and abide upon all of God's believing people. Now and forevermore, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.